And again, I don't remember if it was if it was a football game or a basketball game or a boxing match. This is back in the day when when boxing was actually relevant. People watched that. But you could see in the highlight there was a, a fan that was holding up a sign. And the sign said John three sixteen, right? This is back in the day when it seemed like you could not hold any sort of event, whether it was a concert or a sports arena, without someone having that sign. It was like the ushers gave them out or something. It seemed like every time there was an event in the 80s and 90s that happened, there was at least someone leaning over behind the the field goal post, John 3.16. So this, this sign came up in the highlight, and I didn't think anything about it. I'd seen this happen hundreds of times. But my friend's mom knew that I was her son's religious friend. And so she said, Keith, what does John 3.16 say? And I froze. And I stood there for a second. And I realized I, I, I couldn't remember what John 3.16 said. Now, I grew up going to church. I had a number of Bible verses that I'd memorized. If you would have asked me probably three years earlier what John 3.16 said, I probably could have recited it to you in my sleep, probably in three or four different translations. I mean, this is John 3.16, probably the most well-known verse out there. I mean, people who have no interest in Jesus or in the faith, they know what John 3.16 says. And so all of a sudden, I'm standing there thinking, and, and I found myself saying something. I don't remember what I said. I'm sure I probably said, well, you know, it kind of depends on the context and what version you're talking about. And I'm sure I talked myself out to make myself sound really smart. Well, in the meantime, my friend's mom grabbed a Bible, and she's looking up in the index where, where John is. And sure enough, you know, we finally get there. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, you know, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, you know. And, 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 and then off we went. I don't remember the rest of the conversation. But what I remember was, it was a moment in my life when I realized that my spiritual life had stalled. I was not growing. In fact, forget about growing, I was regressing. And it wasn't just because I couldn't recite John 3.16. That was just kind of the straw that broke the camel's back where I realized, what's going on in my life here? There's no growth whatsoever. I've stopped. Now, Christians have developed a number of words to describe what I was experiencing. Some would say that my spiritual life had grown cold. Some would say, Keith, you were experiencing a dry spell. You heard these phrases before? If we wanted to get uh, even more more, uh, severe in our language here, uh, some would say that maybe I was falling away or perhaps that I was backsliding. Heard that phrase before? backsliding. Now, whatever word you want to use, the reality of my situation was that I was not in a good place. My faith was not what it once was. It was not what it once had been. I've had times in my life when I've been just going through the motions, and I've had other times in my life where I haven't even gone through the motions because I didn't feel any emotion. I remember times when I literally had to dust off the cover of my Bible before I opened it up. And I'm guessing that at least some of you know what I'm talking about. In fact, if you're a Christian and you're here this morning, I'm willing to bet that you've gone through some sort of dry spell in your spiritual life. Maybe it was for a year. Maybe it was for a few weeks. Maybe it had to do with a decision you made or a sin that you were involved in or, or church that you were avoiding or any other number of things. But I'm willing to believe that there was a time in your life 
when your passion for your faith had diminished. Your commitment to Jesus was much less than what it once had been. And if you've never had this happen to you, I think you're in very, very rare company. Because it really seems to happen to most everyone at some point in their life. It almost seems like it's inevitable. So if this is something that happens to so many of us, and if this is something that could likely happen to you in the future, then what should you do once you find yourself in this dry period of time? How can you reverse the dry spell? Well, the author of the book of Romans is a man by the name of the Apostle Paul. And his writings are usually very, very philosophical and theological and complex. And even in the book of Romans itself, sometimes you can be reading something and you think, what in the world is he talking about? You've got to go back three or four chapters to even figure out what he's trying to tell you because he's using different examples and he's using Greek quotes and different philosophies and all this stuff. And you just think, well, get to the point, Paul. Like, what are you talking about? It's so difficult to understand. But for whatever reason, in the second half of chapter 12 in the book of Romans, Paul just goes through a whole series of short commands. Boom, 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 boom. And it almost feels like he's got an ancient form of ADHD. Like he just starts talking about one thing and it like goes right to the next. And then another sentence and then he's done and then he's around the corner doing something else. And for those of you who currently suffer from ADHD, you know, this is great. He just, I just read this and I'm right on to the next thing. No problem whatsoever. So this is what he seems to do, and this is our third week in the series, and so just to backtrack a little bit to to recap what Pastor Brad has talked about, in verse 9, which is where we began our series, verse 9 in Romans chapter 12, Paul talks about love, sincere love. And then the next verse, he talks a little bit more specifically about what, what love is, and he talks about family love. It should be like how a brother or a sister treats one another. This is the, the sort of love that Christians are supposed to exhibit in their life. And then in verse 11, and this is our verse for this morning, he seems to change direction just a little bit, and he says this, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord kind of the opposite of the story that I was sharing with you. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. One sentence, three basic parts. We're told not to do something, we're told to feel something, and then we're told to do something else. Don't do this, feel this, do that. And the action that we're told not to do is to lack zeal. Never be lacking zeal. In zeal, Or some of your translations might talk about laziness or sloth. And the reason why it's referred to in the negative here is because if you look at the transliteration in, in the original Greek, it's literally saying, don't be lazy or don't be slothful. So you should have a zeal about resisting this. In zeal, don't be lazy. But the interesting thing is that Paul really doesn't tell us what we should not be lacking zeal in. There's no reference point. Be zealous about what? Never be lacking zeal about what, Paul? Well, you know, he just keeps right on going. So we don't know for certain what Paul is saying, this is what you should not be lazy in. But if we look at the general context of this chapter, looking back at the beginning of of chapter 12, Paul seems to be saying, be zealous about your worship of God. 
don't be lazy about this transformation process that's going on inside of you. God working out this in, in your life. Make sure that you are, are purposeful and intentional about the renewing of your mind. Never be lacking in zeal. And even though our exact reference point might be a little bit murky, this is about as ambiguous as this text gets. Because right away, Paul tells us how we're supposed to feel and what we're supposed to do. The feeling is called spiritual fervor. Keep your spiritual fervor. Now that sounds like an outdated term, fervor. But what it basically means, it's, it's an intense or a passionate feeling. And the best way that I've heard it described is, is uh, by Dr. Todd Pilot, and he's a pastor who was written specifically on this text and who I was reading earlier in the week, and I want to give him credit for a number of ideas that, that he helped me create uh, through his writing. And, and his idea is a word picture. If we're really going to understand what spiritual fervor is, he has a word picture for what it is. And so I, I brought my word picture here. He says spiritual fervor is like water that's boiling, boiling out of a pot. That, that, that's what we should would think about when we think about spiritual fervor. It's like the pot cannot contain the energetic action of this water. It's bubbling over. It's, it's escaping the pot. And if you've ever wondered what, what someone says when they talk about being on fire for God, or that person, or this event, or this experience that I had, it was like I was on fire with the Holy Spirit. It's spiritual fervor. That's basically what, what this word picture means, is what this verse is talking about. You're filled with uplifting activity. You're highly, intensely motivated and uplifted. Spiritual fervor is the idea that one is set on fire by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit inspires, the Spirit motivates, the Spirit energizes, just like when water boils out of a pot. And the third part of this verse the reason why you're, you're not to be lacking in zeal and your diligence in this and the reason why you're supposed to feel the spiritual fervor and this energy and this uplifting movement is to serve the Lord. Serving the Lord. This is the intended action. We reach the boiling point for a purpose and that purpose is service, obedience, compliance with what God tells us to do. Never be lacking in zeal. But keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Or to say it a little bit differently, which uses this word picture a bit better from Eugene Peterson's translation, The Message. He says, don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled and aflame. Be alert servants of the Master. That's about as clear as the teaching can be from our Bibles. Very specific. Don't lack zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor, serve the Lord. Boom. And Paul moves right on, of course, right? But this does not help us answer our problem that we began our message with. We understand what verse 11 says. This isn't confusing. Paul hasn't tripped us up with big theological words or or ancient quotes that we have to get context for. His teaching is pretty direct. Our challenge is the application. How are we supposed to feel this way? What are we supposed to do about this? The question is, what do we do when we're feeling dry? How can we get to the point of feeling like, once again, we're boiling, we're on fire for God? And this challenge affects all of us. 
That's why it's not our understanding of this verse that gives us a problem. It's our application of it that can pose such a difficulty. A couple of years ago, I came home from work. And uh, this was before Melissa and I had any children. So she was at work and I'd come home a little bit early. And I, I go into our house and my sister-in-law was at our home. This was set up. I had just, of course, forgotten about it. And she had a, a spare key. And so she was in our home. And I, and I come in, and like I usually do, I take my shoes off, my coat off, and I go into the kitchen where I can unload my lunch bag and my wallet, my keys, and just kind of feel like, oh, all right, we're home. Transition point. And I go, I go home, and literally there is no space on our kitchen island. There is food. There is pots. There's frying pans. There's spices. There's, there's compost. It's just completely filled with food. And, and I look over on our, on our stovetop, our oven range there, and same thing. Frying pans, spices, garbage, wrappers all over the place. My sister-in-law is cooking up a storm quite literally. And so I'm, wow, like this is, this is great. What's going on? Well, uh, Melissa was, was pregnant at the time, and so my sister-in-law, out of the goodness of her heart, she was preparing all these meals for us, and we were going to freeze them, we were going to eat them. And, and she had this, our, our biggest pot, this big, huge soup pot, on the front burner, and that thing looked like it would feed us for a week, and it probably, it probably did, maybe a month, I can't remember. But I asked her, I said, well, this is great, you know, thanks so much for doing this, how are you doing? And she's, well, she was a bit frustrated. Well, this big, huge pot of soup, she said, I've been heating it for almost an hour, and it doesn't feel any warmer than when it started. Oh, great, you know, okay. Well, you know, I'm, I'm the guy, right? So I'll, I'll fix the oven, no problem. So, so I, I carefully inspect, and I found out, pretty simple problem. She had the wrong element on. So, I mean, the, the, the empty frying pan in the back, that thing was nice and toasty. That was great, you know, but it wasn't really making anything warmer there that she wanted there on the soup. And, and the point is, I mean, what we find out here is we're using this metaphor. If we're talking about water in a pot, Water doesn't boil itself. The pot doesn't boil the water either. It needs a source of heat. I mean, she could have kept that burner on for, for another 24 hours and nothing would have happened to that soup. It just would have sat there. The problem was, you know, she was too far away from the, the source of heat. Needed to move the pot closer, or in this case, because of you know, everything else that was going on in the oven top, just turned on another burner. Not too long, it was boiling and simmering and turned out to be quite a tasty meal. Water doesn't boil itself. It needs a source of heat. And if the source of heat in our metaphor is the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, then the question that we must consider is how do we get ourselves closer to the burner? If we're going through a dry spell, if we're going through a period of our life where we just aren't feeling it like we used to, how do we then redirect our life towards God's Spirit? so that he can once again ignite us, so that we can get those bubbles going again in our life. Well, the problem is, within this text, we don't really get a response. Paul's in his ADHD mode. He jumps onto something else in verse 12. He's talking about a number of different other things. And so he really doesn't tell us, hey, this is how you keep your spiritual fervor. This is how you make sure that you don't lack in zeal in this area of your life. He he keeps right on going. And actually, if we look at the rest of the Bible, we don't really have a a list. There's really no comprehensive list of this is the way that that you stay the course. This is the way that that when you're feeling dry, when you're feeling out of it, when you've backslid or, or whatever it might be, this is how you get back on target. We don't really have that list. 
But what we do have is we have a number of stories. We have stories about men and women throughout the Bible who directed their lives, who moved their pot close to that burner, who found a way to get their lives reignited again. We have the life of Jesus that we can point to, who did some specific things to make sure that he always did the will of God. We have Christian history, a number of, of, of different church leaders who have written about this and shared their own experience. These are the things that we do to make sure that we listen to God and we follow through in obedience so that we, we see bubbles coming up in our pot of water as a metaphor for our spiritual lives. Because water doesn't boil itself. It needs a source of heat. Well, about two years ago, and many of you will remember this, our church participated in a survey called Reveal. The purpose of Reveal was to reveal the ways that people grew in their, in their spiritual faith. How do we get people maturing in their faith? And there's a church called Willow Creek uh, in Illinois outside the Chicago area, and they were the ones that, that created and distributed this survey. And so our church was one of them who participated in this survey. And they've collected now, I believe, 1,200 They've done this through 1,200 different churches. So, I mean, tens of thousands of people have responded to this survey. And what they're trying to figure out is, what are people doing to get their pot of water closer to the burner? What sort of activities and behaviors and goals are, are, are they working on to make sure that they grow? Well, we got the results of the survey a couple of months after we first distributed it. And like every survey, there's some responses you think, well, that's obvious. You know, it's not very helpful. There's other things you say, no, that's, you know, we didn't get a large enough sample size. That's bogus material. It doesn't help us at all. And then there's some surprising information as well. And one of the best parts of this survey, at least in, in, in my view, is that what it did was that when it asked a, a number of these different questions, it actually segmented some people and it categorized them. It created a subgroup. And the label that they gave this group was stalled. These are people who've identified through these questions that they have now stalled in their faith. They've reached some sort of stopping point. Maybe we'd call it a dry period. But because of the way that they've responded to these questions, we know that their growth has now stopped for this period of time. And what they did is then they asked more questions. How did you get stuck? If, you're still, if you were stuck in the past, how did you get out of it? How did you move towards this direction again of being able to grow? Well, all of us get stuck at some point. It's going to happen if it hasn't already. And the interesting thing about this survey is that the data concluded, and I'll quote their, their survey findings here, virtually all people say they were stalled at some point in their spiritual development. And what's fascinating about this survey is that it gives us insight into how we get our pot of water back onto the burner. The survey gave us a number of, of valuable graphs, and we're going to look at these up on the screen. Uh, but basically, these two graphs told us the same thing in different words. The number one reason why people stalled here at Jericho Ridge Community Church, lack of discipline and spiritual practices. That's what people said. I stopped reading my Bible. I stopped praying. I, I, I stopped being generous with my finances. Uh, I stopped taking time to myself. Stopped fasting. Stopped meeting with people. Stopped confessing sins. These, these are different spiritual practices. Number one reason, over 70% of our respondents said it was a lack of lack of discipline and spiritual practices. Some of the other things that, that are recorded there very much correlate. Second, letting other activities take precedence in my life. Fourth, 
conflicting responsibilities. It speaks to the priorities there. Third, a lack of accountability or encouragement. That speaks to community involvement, which Pastor Brass talked about the last couple of weeks. But that number one reason, why did you stall? Like, I stopped spiritual practices. Next graph. Top five ways your people became unstalled. So now we're stuck. How did you get out of it? What gave you traction to keep going? Number one response. I connected with God through prayer, solitude, or scripture. In other words, spiritual practice. Interesting, isn't it? Number one reason why people stalled? Neglected the practices. Number one reason why people got back on their feet again? They started into the spiritual practices once again. Now, you won't find a list of spiritual practices in the Bible. It's not because they aren't biblical. It isn't because, that for some reason, there, there's something wrong with them. It's because that they just weren't phrased in that sense back in that time. And over the years, through the different church leaders and writers and history, people have, have come to this understanding of, this is a way that I connect with God. This is a way that I can actually feel the heat of the Spirit in, in my life. This is the way that I get re-energized and refocused, and I can hear from God, and I can follow in obedience. And, and throughout the years, these different practices or disciplines or habits or however you want to describe them, they've developed. Water doesn't boil itself. It needs a source of heat. And one of the best ways that we can get closer to that burner is by practicing these different spiritual disciplines. Now, here's the catch-22 in all this, and it's very relevant. I'm guessing many of you are asking this question. Well, the challenge is, is that these practices become easier when you're already doing them right? When, when water's already hot, it doesn't take much time and it doesn't take much more temperature for it to boil. But when that water is really cold, it takes a long time and it takes a lot of effort and it takes a lot of heat for it to boil. So if you weren't reading your Bible and you're feeling dry, the desire to read your Bible is probably incredibly low, right? It's just like with runners. They talk about this running high, which I've never experienced before, because I'm not diligent enough to run because I hate running, But you start running, you start getting in shape, then you get addicted to it. You like it, right? So I hear. I don't know. But it's just, it's one of those things. This is just, this is just very similar to other parts of our life. If you aren't doing these practices, it almost feels like more of a roadblock to start doing them again. However, however, even though it can feel difficult to move closer to the burner when your water's cold, the presence of cold water in your life The fact that you have cold water is a clear indication that you have to get closer to that burner. I wish I could provide, you know, a a great way of saying, well, this is how you're going to move in that direction. Even though you don't feel like it, even though you feel cold, you know, this is the way that it can be done. But it's one of those things that you really can't say, all all you can really say is just start doing it. It's like when people say, oh, I want to be more generous. I really want to be more generous, but I just can't. Do you know how you become more generous? You have to give. That's really the only way you can do it. It starts by giving. Well, that's a really big step. I think it's probably the only step. If you're going to be generous, if you want to give, it starts, you can start incrementally. You can start with a small gift, but you can't just all of a sudden wake up and say, I feel generous. I'm going to give 20% to this organization. No, you have to give. It doesn't just, just miraculously come. Now, there are definitely times in life 
when God will move in a powerful way, sometimes when we don't expect it, sometimes when we don't desire it all that much, and all of a sudden we get this feeling. We go to a conference or we have a conversation with a friend or we hear an inspiring message or we read something, and that can happen. But more times than not, it takes serious, serious effort and diligence to move ourselves into that direction. It takes work. It takes work because pretty much every good thing in our life requires work. You don't get in shape by sitting on the couch. I've tried it. It doesn't work. You don't reconcile a relationship by giving someone the silent treatment. You don't pay off a credit card by getting another credit card. And you don't increase your spiritual fervor by doing nothing. If you really want to follow Paul's command here, if you really want to experience an abundance of zeal and spiritual fervor, then you have to move yourself closer to the burner. You have to have some movement. Because water doesn't boil itself. You've got to place yourself near the heat of God's Spirit. Now, I want to highlight a couple of spiritual practices this morning. A few that, that have come to my mind and that I feel are, are especially important. And I don't have time to talk about much of these in length. There's a number of authors that have written incredibly helpful books about these, and they talk about how they're rooted in the scriptures and in Christian history and why they're helpful and what they can do to to really get yourself back on fire again. If you want some of those resources, I'd be happy to pass those books on to you and the authors for your own reading. And this is not an exhaustive list either. There's many more than these, but if you're thinking to yourself, you know what? I I need this. My my water's boiling, and I just got to make sure it keeps boiling. Or I'm a bit cold, but I want to move in that direction. My challenge to you this morning is to pick just one. To pick one, one, just pick one and make a week-long commitment to it. Some of these will require you to do it every day. Some of them will require for you to just do it one time during this week. And some of you may not notice a huge change in just this one time, but it's a start. And we'll pray that God would speak to you as you follow him in obedience. Number one, pray. When we pray to God... We pray not just, when we don't just pray with words, but when we pray with this expectation and this silence and this listening to God, what we are saying is, Lord, we are willing to change. I want you to speak to me, and then I am going to do everything I can to obey. That is powerful. That's really when we're saying we're going to move over to this heating element. I think a major reason why people neglect prayer, a major reason why people are scared to pray is because they don't want to face the possibility that God's going to tell them to change. Richard Foster has said this, to pray is to change. It's a central avenue that God uses to transform us. This is our prayer week. Five different events this week. One tonight, three during the week. Next Sunday morning, as we always have pre-gathering prayer, why don't you come and pray? You don't even have to say anything. Just come, be quiet, listen to the prayers of others, ask God to reveal things in your own heart, just come and do it. If you don't want to do that publicly, that's fine. Don't go to one of the events. Spend some other time this week praying and just start there. Lord, what do you want to say to me? Lord, what sins do I need to confess? Lord, how can I move closer to the burner? You feel the energy starting when we talk about prayer. This is great. Number two, serve. Serve. 
Jesus said that greatness in his kingdom is accomplished through service. When we serve, we mirror the work of Christ. Jesus did not come to this world to be served, remember? He came to serve. He came to give himself for us. The most godly men and women that I know are men and women who serve. These are men and women whose whose water in their pots are always boiling over, it seems like, and they are committed to service. They're eager to serve. I don't think it's, it's a coincidence at all that tied together in this verse that we've looked at this morning, Romans 12, 11, is that spiritual fervor and serving God are linked together. It's a great pathway to get yourself bubbling over. Now, we've heard a few service areas highlighted this morning at Jericho Ridge. You know about them. I'm sure you know of service areas that that are needed in your extended families and maybe at your workplaces and in your communities and your neighbors. The question is, are you going to serve? Are you going to mirror the teachings of Jesus and be someone who is going to serve others? Number three, give. Give. Jesus talked about money more than any other subject in the Bible except for the kingdom of heaven. And it's a good thing he talked about the kingdom of heaven more because he says you can't serve both. You can't serve me, you can't serve my kingdom, and you can't serve money at the same time. This is why every Sunday we talk about money, or at least we try to. Whenever we, get, whenever we call people for the offering, whenever uh, we, we say this is a way that we can serve that God, this is a way that we can uh, get ourselves on fire and in obedience, this is why we talk about it because Jesus talked about it so much. I grew up in a church where I cannot remember one time that anyone talked about money. We had an offering container, a big wood box at the back of our church. If you wanted to give, you could go give. That was fine. If you didn't, you could go there for years and years and years and and of no consequence. Personally, now as an adult, I feel like that church failed people in that one area because God talked, or Jesus talks about money so, so much. You can't serve both. You can't. Whenever you give, you are demonstrating faith. And you talk about moving your pot closer to the burner. I mean, you're basically saying, Lord, I'm going to trust you to provide because I'm giving this to you. I'm increasing my faith. What are you going to do in my life? You demonstrate faith every time that you give. When's the last time that you've given? When's the last time that you've given? I'm not talking about a dollar amount. I'm talking about a percentage. Any small amount. When's the last time you've asked God, would you like me to contribute to that team that's going to Guatemala? Would you like me to contribute to Jericho Ridge? Would you like me to help out those people that are suffering right now? Have you asked God, what can I do with my resources to give? When you give, you're stretching your faith. That's spiritual growth and development. It's moving your pot closer to the burner. Number four, fast. Ah, this one's a nasty one, isn't it? fast. Why would we want to deprive ourselves of something? I used to think that fasting was reserved for the really, really serious things because that's, who I, that's what I grew up in the church. Every couple years we'd fast about something and that was really serious because if my stomach's going to growl all day long, that's some serious, serious stuff. Maybe when someone's diagnosed with a chronic illness, that's a time to fast. Maybe when someone is facing a life-changing decision, that's a time to fast. And I agree, those are great times to fast. But why would we not fast simply for the sake of hearing from God? 
of saying, God, I'm going to take this need out of my life so that every time my stomach growls or every time I remember that I'm not doing that, I can focus on you. And I can say, Lord, do you have a word for me? Do you want to speak to me in some way? Why would we not do that? If you choose to fast this week, you're in great company. Looking at some of the major characters of the Bible who fasted, Moses fasted, so did King David, Elijah the prophet, Queen Esther fasted, Daniel fasted, Anna the prophetess did, so did the Apostle Paul. Oh yeah, and Jesus did too. He did quite a bit of fasting. number of church leaders over the years fasted. It's effective. And yet we bought in, and I'm just as guilty of this as anyone, we bought into this notion that if I don't eat three meals a day, I'm in trouble. And you know what? To speak realistically to that, some of us are. Some of us do have dietary situations where, where we need to have certain foods, and if we don't eat for extended times, that is a problem. But it doesn't just have to be food. You can fast from an event. You can fast from a place. You can fast from a behavior. Why not consider fasting this week? Maybe just a short period of time. And to see if maybe that'll get your water boiling just a little bit. And if you're scared about fasting, if you don't know what it means, if you don't want to do it by yourself, come and talk to me. Depending on what you're fasting from and what my schedule looks like, I'll fast with you this week. And we'll find out what did God speak to you while you fasted? What was your experience like? Number five, this is our last one. Read your Bible. The Bible is God's word. It's instant access to hearing from God. It's how God's worked throughout our world and worked in different people. And he has a way of applying this to our lives and speaking to us when we read it. The Bible reading plan that we just started a couple of weeks ago, which you can start at any point, you can start today for the first day, this is the best way to start reading the Bible. It's called Project 345. It stands for 3 minutes and 45 seconds. If you're a bit of a slower reader or if it's a longer chapter, just think about 5 minutes a day. You can read the Bible in 5 minutes a day. I could list a number of activities that you could do while you're simultaneously reading the Bible, but I won't go there. But for 5 minutes a day, you can get a chapter of the New Testament. You can read it. 5 days a week. You can catch up on the weekends if you want to you will be amazed at how God will speak to you and the questions you start asking by reading one chapter a day. Now we look at this list, pray, serve, give, fast, read. There's a reason why this series is called Upside Down. This is countercultural stuff. Who wants to listen to God through prayer to make their own decisions? Like how foolish is that? Who wants to read this old book for direction on how to live their lives? Who's really going to serve someone else instead of their own self-interests? Who's actually going to give their money away? Like, how crazy is that? You're going to give our money away? That's somehow going to help you? Make you feel more fulfilled in life? Who's going to deprive themselves of something like food or television? For, for what reason? Why would you do this? What kind of life is this? Jesus said his kingdom was not of this world. And you know what? Water doesn't boil itself. We've got to get closer to the burner. 
We've got to get closer to the burner to experience this kingdom that he's talking about. And it is countercultural, and it does take work, and it does take effort. And one of the best ways to get there is by engaging in some of these practices. Let's pray. Lord, your word says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. I pray, Lord, that as we prepare to sing these songs, as we listen to what they say, as we examine our hearts, that, Lord, you would give us direction for what you would have us do. You have given us responsibilities. You have given us instructions. And so, Lord, I ask that you would motivate us and you would push us in the direction of movement, of application. Help us know what you would like us to do this week. To pray, to serve, to give, to read, to fast. And I pray, Lord, that in these decisions that we make, that you would move in ways that we recognize. That seven days from now, when we come back together, we'd be able to say, I heard God say this to me. I felt encouraged by this. I felt that the stranglehold of, of this addiction or this, this poor behavior that I've had, I felt that loosen just a little bit. Lord, we trust you and we take you at your word and we want to see you move in our lives as we move closer to you. So Lord, please speak to us now and speak to us throughout this week. And as we sing these songs and we worship you, Lord, we ask that you would be honored and praised through the obedience of your people. Amen.